Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of once saved, always saved. I'm going through a number of passages in the scriptures that people will often refer to when discussing this subject. In today's program, I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. These are some common verses that are brought up when people discuss this subject. Beginning in verse 8, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's the end of verse 9 where he says, Eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, the significance of this verse is that people will read this, they will speak of this, and they will say that if you do not obey him, then you will not have eternal salvation, because eternal salvation is only for those who obey him. Now, what does this mean? This means, in general, that you will have to obey everything that he commanded you to obey. So go through the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, and list out all of the things that he commanded that a person needs to do. Now, it shouldn't take very long before you compile a pretty good list and realize that there is no way that you are going to be able to obey the Lord Jesus. You're not going to be able to succeed in doing those things that he has commanded you to do. Now, you might do some of those things some of the time, but you're certainly not going to do all of those things all of the time. That's my point, is that there might be a few occasions when you do not sin, but there will be many occasions when you will. So even though a person might be very well-meaning, they might have great intentions, a person might be very devoted They might be very committed, but that doesn't mean that they are going to succeed. Succeed to the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus. Because we could certainly compare notes with each other. We could talk with each other. And it's probable that we could come to an agreement with regards to whether a person is obedient enough to one thing or another. But the only opinion that is truly going to matter is that of the Lord Jesus. And so you must consider yourself how you view this, do you feel confident that if the Lord Jesus was standing in front of you right now, do you feel confident that if you said to him, Jesus, I obey you in all things, I do, do you feel confident that he would agree with you? Do you really? Do you think that maybe he doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to you and so you might be able to say that with a degree of confidence because You don't think that he's spending a lot of time keeping track of what you're doing or what you're not doing. Now, listen, I really do believe this. And so I'm proclaiming this. I'm witnessing to this effect. I'm testifying 
that there is no way that you are going to be able to obey enough of the commandments. You're not going to be obedient to the things that he proclaimed, to the things that he declared, to the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus, so that he will say that you will have eternal salvation because of your obedience. If that would be the case, if you could obtain your eternal salvation through your obedience, then why would you need grace or mercy? Why would you need forgiveness? You can just obey, if that is the correct interpretation of this verse. When a person takes the position that you can lose your salvation for failure to obey, when a person takes that position, you have to be completely honest and determine all of those things that must be obeyed, and you have to be honest about your success or failure concerning these things. Now, if a person wants to take the position that it is your obedience that determines whether or not you are going to obtain eternal salvation, then you're simply not saved. You're never going to be saved. You might as well just give up and let it go. That is the only conclusion that you can arrive at if that is your premise. There is another premise, though. There is another premise, and that is that he proclaimed the commandments that he proclaimed. He declared the acts of obedience that would be expected, that he expected of a person. He gave the commandments that were given through Moses. He spoke about them regularly throughout his ministry, but he did this in order to show you that you would never obtain eternal salvation through your obedience, through your obedience to the commandments, through your obedience to the law, so that you would see that you have no alternative but his grace and mercy for your eternal salvation, that there would be nothing besides that. And I do not mean that he provides grace and mercy for those few things that you fail to obey at. I mean grace and mercy for the totality of your being, for every aspect of who you are as a person. You completely, everything about who you are requires forgiveness, requires the mercy of God. What must a person do to obtain eternal salvation in that context? You must believe. You must believe that you are in this condition and that he has provided a provision that is appropriate for your condition. You are in such a condition that you have no hope outside of his grace and mercy and he has made the provision of his grace and mercy for those who would believe that he has done this, who would believe that he has accomplished this. You must believe that is your obedience. I believe that is what he's referring to. Here in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that the obedience is the obedience of faith, the obedience of believing the truth of your condition, of his provision. That is what is required. That is the criteria to be saved according to the gospel. The gospel of forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the life that was lost in Adam, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. So reading this again, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, he accomplished what he came to accomplish. 
he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, but that is the author of eternal salvation to all who will believe him. And you might think that that sounds a little odd or a little awkward, but consider the people who you know. Certainly you know lots of people who just simply do not believe him. When you speak to them about the Lord Jesus, do you not speak to them in the context of obey God by believing what he has said, believing what he has declared, believe what he has done? You should be able to relate to what I am saying if you would consider it in that context. Continuing on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Very common passage that people will bring up when it comes to the topic of can you lose your salvation or not. Now, of course, I'd like to remind you that I have done a complete verse-by-verse study on the book of Hebrews, where I talked about these passages to include Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and so I'm not going to give you a complete message concerning these passages. I will only summarize what I see here and refer you to those other programs that I developed that are available for free in the radio archive so that you can spend more time on these individual verses at your own pace and so that you can spend time looking at these things from the perspective that I am presenting and then, of course, collectively by considering the chapters that I addressed as a whole. But in this program, I will mention these verses in the context of the topic at hand And that is, can a person lose their salvation or not? In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Now, people refer to this all the time. I have conversations with people about this all the time. One of the most memorable would be a conversation that I had with someone who told me that they were not going to be a Christian, they were not going to believe in Jesus until just before the end of their life because they were concerned about these verses right here. They thought that if they committed themselves to the faith too early that there might be a time when they commit sin or do something that would disqualify them according to this verse, and they didn't want to have too much time to possibly reach this state where they would not be able to re-enter into faith with the Lord in some capacity so that they would lose their salvation and then spend 10, 20, 30 years of their life living their lives with this expectation that they fell away and they could not be renewed again to repentance. There are many people, lots of people out there, who believe this. And if you are one of these people who lives in some form of hiding, who listens to Christian programs such as this in secrecy, because you believe that you fit in this category, and yet you're just hoping and praying that maybe... There was a mistake here. I will tell you this. There is a mistake in your understanding, but there's no mistake in what is written here. There are two different ways that this can be interpreted, in my opinion. I would not interpret it in the way that I just described, but a lot of people do. To me, there are two approaches to this passage. I'll tell you the one that I personally don't agree with in the sense that I don't think this is what he was intending to say. It is certainly a truth. I'm just not so confident 
that this is what he was intending to say here. I believe that there is an alternative rendering, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. To begin with, I'll tell you about the first rendering that I think is a reasonable explanation. It has to do with the fact that you cannot bring a person to the point of salvation if they never really reached it, which is true. That certainly is true. If a person tasted but did not swallow, to give you an example, this is how some people will refer to this. They will read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 in this way, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. What they will say is, is that a person had some intellectual enlightenment. They did not commit themselves to what they learned about, but they were enlightened. They were informed a little bit about the Lord Jesus and have tasted the heavenly gift. Well, they had a taste But they didn't really chew and swallow. You know, they had some exposure. They have been enlightened a little bit. They've had a little bit of a taste of the heavenly gift in some way through someone else, perhaps. But they did not really have that within themselves. They've had some exposure. Continuing in verse 4, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They became a partaker through someone else is how people will often describe this. In verse 5, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. A continuation of the explanation that I just gave from verse 4. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance because they may have tasted, but they never entered into repentance to begin with. So if they tasted and they were enlightened, but they never really repented, it's not possible to renew them again to that state of repentance because they never got there to begin with. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. We cannot say that they renewed their faith or they recommitted or they rededicated or they renewed their relationship with God because if we say that, then we would be suggesting that he would have to be crucified again, we would be suggesting that what he did for them previously was not adequate. And, of course, we know that he's not going to come and die for the sins of the world again. He already did that once and for all. So this is the position that people will take. They will suggest that this refers to those who almost got saved, but did not get saved, and so we cannot renew them to a state that they never got to to begin with. That's the first interpretation that I believe can have some legitimacy. I just don't have the opinion, I don't have the bias that that is what he was intending to say. I certainly can agree that that is true. I believe that that is true. A person can have exposure, a person can be enlightened, a person can partake to an extent by receiving a gift of the Holy Spirit that is expressed to them by someone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. All of those things, from what I can tell, are absolutely true. I'm just not that confident that that's what he was intending to say. What I believe he was intending to say is that if a person is saved, And they fall away in the sense that they have a time of unbelief. They have a time when they doubt, for example. There are many times when believers doubt what the Lord has revealed to them, especially when they're experiencing sufferings and tribulations in their life, just to give you an example. If a person falls away from their belief just a little, it is not possible 
to renew them to a point of salvation because they never lost their salvation. If they did lose their salvation, then the wages of sin is death. It would require the death of the Messiah again. We would be appealing to God, asking for him to be crucified again, which he certainly will not do. So the first explanation I gave was with regards to those people who were not saved to begin with. But this explanation, which I personally have a bias towards this explanation in this passage, it's just my opinion that this is what he was intending to say. But if he was not intending to say this, we know that this is true anyway. We would just have to go to other places in the scriptures to point out some verses that establish that. In this case, though, that's my bias, that's my opinion. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, he's talking about a person who has been saved, and if they fall away due to their doubt or their moments of unbelief, you cannot renew them again to repentance. Otherwise, you would be declaring that there would be the necessity of the crucifixion of the Son of God again, which would put him to an open shame. The shame would be that he declared that what he did was adequate, And yet we would be suggesting that what he did was not adequate. If he would follow through and be crucified again, it would be an open shame because he would demonstrate that he was a liar because what he did the first time in his crucifixion was not enough. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, another common passage that is referred to, beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries, Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, of course, people have a lot to say about this passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, there is a lot that can be said about how you might insult the Spirit of grace by committing sin, even though he's been so gracious to you. You could say that there will be fiery indignation because you are an adversary of God, because there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, and you have sinned willfully. You have committed sin willfully. There is no sacrifice for that anymore. You are going to spend the rest of your life living with a certain fearful expectation, because it's coming, of judgment, fiery indignation, and you will be devoured with the rest of his adversaries, because you have trampled the Son of God through your sin. This is what people will say. Lots of people say this. Lots of people believe this. I personally think that they should believe this a little bit more because those who proclaim this certainly have some sin in their life that they commit willfully. They are guilty of these things themselves. So if they would be a little bit more honest about that, then perhaps they might hesitate a little bit more to put this on other people. But that's another topic for another program. In this case, I want you to consider the whole chapter. And of course, I cannot address the whole chapter in this program I did a verse-by-verse study on the book of Hebrews. 
I did go through Hebrews chapter 10. Do take the time to listen to those programs. In this case, I am only going to summarize and say that the sin that he is referring to, that he speaks of in this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 10, is the sin of not believing that your sins have been forgiven. Again, the sin that he is referring to is the sin of not believing in forgiveness. There are many ways to express that unbelief. One of the ways that they could be expressing that would be by going to the temple and presenting sacrifices for sin. That was a way that they demonstrated their unbelief in the forgiveness that God provided, and I believe that would certainly qualify for what he's talking about here. There are many other ways that people will reject the forgiveness of God by trying to live a life of obedience to the law. In that way, you can reject the forgiveness that you have received. You can trample on the Son of God because you are not living in the reality of what has been accomplished through the forgiveness of sins. Through the forgiveness of sins, you were set free from the law. You were set free from that so that you can walk in a newness of life, a different way of life. But if you fail to enter into that new way of life, then you will have trampled the Son of God. You will have insulted the Spirit of grace because you did not enter in to the new life that he has provided, but instead went back to the old life under the old covenant. Those are some ways that this can be fulfilled. So reading it from that point of view, beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What would be that willful sin? It would be the sin of refusing to believe that his sacrifice for sins was enough. That his sacrifice for sins dealt with the sin issue, dealt with the concerns related to sin so that he could relate to us in the midst of our sins, but also outside of our sins, so that he could begin to address those core issues that result in the sins in our lives, so that he could deal with the root causes, the root needs, the real reasons why people engage in sin. So again, if we sin willfully, that would be the sin of not believing in the forgiveness that he has provided, then there is no other sacrifice. Because if you're not going to believe in that one, there's no other one to believe in. That is verse 26. Verse 27 says, But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries, you're going to have nothing besides that, nothing left. If you are going to be honest about your sin and you're not going to believe in the forgiveness that he has provided, then there is nothing to look forward to but fiery indignation because you have no alternative. There will be no alternative. In verse 28 Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot by counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, past tense, was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? You will be worthy of such fiery indignation because you are not living in the sanctification that you have already received because of what he has done by grace. 
You have insulted that by not believing, by not trusting. So you either start trusting, you either start believing, or you are going to have to remain in the condition of the certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation because there will be nothing else if you are going to be honest. But that's the point. The point is is that there are many people who are not honest about their sin, and they are not honest about not really believing in the complete forgiveness of sins. Let me give you an example. If a person suggests that you can obtain further forgiveness from God, any further forgiveness, if a person promotes the belief that you can obtain forgiveness by any other means besides the means that he provided through the cross, then you are dealing with someone who could very well be a candidate for this verse. For example, if a person suggests that all you need to do is apologize to God, well, that certainly is not as obvious as it would be if the person brought a bull or a goat before the altar in church. That certainly would be obvious. But if you bring him down and say, just make an apology, just say you're sorry, confess your sins and ask for forgiveness, you might very well be faced with an individual who fits into this category. But what you will find is that this is probably an individual. And I say this because I've met enough people that I know that there are enough people who believe in this way that I feel very comfortable in saying this in this way, that there are people who will then say that if you do not get all of the sin out of your life and you do not respond to your sin through the mechanism that they have promoted their system of Levitical light through confession and through apology to obtain forgiveness, what you're really dealing with is somebody who is trampling the Son of God underfoot. He is treating the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing because he has reduced the seriousness of sin through claiming that forgiveness can be achieved in some other way, in an alternative way. Now, I did do a series on the subject of forgiveness. Listen to that series that I produced on forgiveness all the way through, and then revisit Hebrews chapter 10, and I believe the Lord will give you a vision concerning this. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net